podcast, Dr. Harold Ott. Dr. Ott is a clinician and a scientist who comes to us from the Massachusetts General Hospital. Uh, Dr. Ott's interests are in cardiothoracic surgery from a clinical perspective and tissue engineering and organ regeneration from a research perspective. Dr. Ott, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Uh, Hi, John. Thanks for having me. So from a perspective of regenerative medicine, Uh, I think the focus of our discussion probably will center on the research aspects of your program. And I know you've done some very pioneering and creative research as it relates to regeneration and tissue engineering of the heart. Can you give us a brief overview of your interest and status of your work in that area? The core technology we base our efforts at the Mestrinal Hospital on is perfusion decellarization of cadaveric organs. By putting organs through the process of perfusion decellarization, we isolate the extracellular matrix, which is sort of the scaffolding or the blueprint of an organ, and end up with an empty shell that can then be repopulated with cells. If you think of a cadaveric heart, then it consists mainly of cells and what's called the extracellular matrix, and by perfusing detergents through that organ, we're able to remove these cells and end up with a non-immunogenic or relatively little immunogenic scaffold that can then be seeded and used as a basis for organ regeneration. And that process was initially published as a proof of principle using rat cells on a rat extracellular matrix. And what we've been doing since then was to try to use human cells and human size scaffolds in an effort to regenerate not only rat muscle or rat-sized hearts, but hearts that are applicable to be transplanted into patients. So the reason for taking this approach, I presume, is that you can repair or perhaps replace a heart without any immunosuppression issues that you have with, a, for example, a transplanted organ. Is that correct? That's correct. So, so the current issue, if you're a patient with heart failure, your options are currently limited. You might not die. Survival has improved, but your functional status is going to be limited. There are certain options like medical treatments, mechanical ventricular assist device that can be offered to patients in heart failure. But if you look at the numbers, really, there's about 5 million Americans suffering from heart failure. And if you look at treatments such as transplantation, which is the ultimate treatment for heart failure, then there's only a few thousand patients a year who can undergo transplantation. And that has a couple of reasons. One of them is that there's a shortage in donor organs, and the other reason is that these patients have to be exposed to relatively harsh immunosuppressive regimen. So if you're a transplant recipient, you need immunosuppression in order to prevent your body from rejecting the organ. The ultimate goal or the vision behind our research is to develop a graft that is grown on demand from a patient's own cells, meaning you take a biopsy from a patient who walks into your office with heart failure, and over the couple months period of time in the lab, you grow an organ that's coming off the shelf and can be transplanted in order to replace the failing heart. Now, it's important to note that this is the ultimate vision, this is the goal, and this is, of course, in the far future, but we're trying to reach intermediate milestones on the way to this ultimate goal 
by upscaling the matrix technology to human size by deriving human cardiomyocytes, so those are the heart muscle cells from patient-derived cells, and try to little step by little step make our way to the ultimate goal. So in this intermediate step, what might be the therapies that would be a result of this science as opposed to, quote, regrowing a whole heart, unquote? So intermediate milestones we've identified so far are cardiac patches, for example. There's patients who have a heart attack. Part of their heart is scarred down and dilates, forms what's called a left ventricular aneurysm. And these patients often undergo bypass surgery. And what's done during this bypass surgery is the part of the heart that's dilated hurts the rest of the healthy myocardium, makes it harder for the pump to work. And so that part is excised. As one intermediate step, we hope that we can help these patients by providing a patch that can be placed over that scar in order to prevent it from dilating any further and maybe even to add some contractile function. From a conceptual perspective, do you have to remove the scar tissue or can you build new tissue over it? That depends on the geometry of the ventricle. So the big problem with left ventricular aneurysms right now is that once the heart is dilated, it's functioning in a suboptimal state. So my prediction of that would be that you would excise part of that scar and replace it. Currently, you either suture it together without replacing it with anything or you replace it with a thin patch. And our goal would be to replace it actually with a thick myocardial patch rather than just non-viable tissue. So there's a number of strategies for regenerative medicine-type therapies for heart problems. Some revolve around tissue engineering, such as what you just described, and some revolve around injection of autologous cells to treat the cardiac problems. Are these different approaches applicable for the same types of cardiac problems, or are they for different types of issues? In ischemic heart disease, there are several different patient populations. And if you look at the different treatments, they target different subpopulations of these patients. So if you come to the hospital right now with an acute heart attack, meaning that the event happens right there, the injury happens right there, current cell therapy trials are trying to show that if you inject, for example, bone marrow-derived cells or MSCs, there's multiple trials on the way showing that you might improve left ventricular function or preserve myocardium that would otherwise die from that insult using cells as a therapeutic intervention. The second patient population are really patients that had cardiac injury, had a heart attack years ago, and are now facing the grim prognosis of heart failure. So there, a scar has formed, the left ventricular geometry is gone, and I think those are the patients that will benefit more from an engineering approach than from a pure cell therapy approach. If you look at these hearts, the scar is thin, that part of what's called the left ventricular chamber of the heart is thinned out, and it's very hard to expect single cells, might they form muscle or might they form vessels, to rebuild a whole myocardial wall. And I think that's where the tissue engineering approach comes in by providing not only cells, but a whole three-dimensional context, a matrix, in order to replace the lost tissue. Thank you for clarifying. I believe there's a uh, third approach, which I know is not your particular focus, but just to keep all the options in this discussion. There has been some success and some clinical activity in terms of mechanical circulatory support for these types of problems as well. That's absolutely correct. So the current options for terminal heart failure are 
supportive medical care, heart transplantation, or mechanical assist devices. And that third portion offers, I think, a unique opportunity for us, actually, because what it does is it takes the patient's heart out of the equation for a given period of time. So if a patient now comes in and receives a mechanical assist device that can support this life, that, in theory, gives us a time window in which we could try to either regenerate a new heart or repair the existing heart while the patient is not depending on his own failing heart. So I believe there's actually some clinical success stories in that regard where physicians have been able to give a sick heart a rest. The heart regenerates with appropriate therapy and uh, they can take the patient off the assist device. Absolutely. So especially in, in cases of myocarditis, for example, that is the course even to be expected in many patients. So a patient has inflammation of the heart muscle which renders the heart non-functional, which ultimately would lead to death in that situation, you are able to provide mechanical assist. And then as the injury, as the inflammation goes down and the heart has time to heal, the cardiac function comes back and you're able to remove the assist device. So in these cases of acute decompensation, may it be because of inflammatory injury or because of decompensation in the context of a heart attack, there are success stories where patients can be weaned off mechanical assist devices. And of course, there's another subcategory, which I believe some of the physicians I've spoken to call destination therapy, where a mechanical circulatory support system is used with the intentions of supporting the patient for the rest of their life. Exactly. So, I mean, you're bringing up an important separation here also conceptually. If you look at a patient in heart failure and you're thinking about mechanical assist devices, you have to be clear what's the goal of therapy. And there are two approaches here. One is called bridge to transplant. So a patient who comes in and has an expected waiting time, depending on the blood group, up to 250 days these days in the United States. This patient comes in and you want to support them until a donor organ becomes available. This is called bridge to transplant versus the patient who's not a potential transplant recipient because of age or comorbidities, that patient will be in an arm that's called destination therapy, where a mechanical device is implanted and will remain implanted until it fails. And I guess one of the most significant or well-read applications of that is former Vice President Cheney. That's correct. So, Dr. Ott, we've covered a lot of territory here in terms of possible alternatives, but I'd like to return to your specific area of interest in terms of this concept of decellularizing a heart, in your case, and then repopulating it with cells. So that's uh, simple to say, but I presume it's a fairly complicated multi-step procedure. Is that correct? That is absolutely true, yes. So first of all, you decellularize the heart. Do you have any insight as to what percentage of the cells need to be removed? Is it completely decellularized, or can you get away with something less than that? Our current efforts aim at a complete removal of cells within the donor or within the heart that's being processed, and that's for multiple reasons. One is cell surface markers and remaining cell proteins are what's called immunogenic, meaning that if remnants of dead cells are left behind in that scaffold, and even if that scaffold is then repopulated with a patient's own cells, the patient might reject those proteins in the scaffold 
and mount an immune response against these proteins, which will ultimately lead to graft failure similar to organ rejection and transplantation. The other reason is that those proteins, quite simply said, are in the way. So DNA, which is found in the cell nucleus, which carries all the information for our cells, is a protein that becomes highly polymerized once it comes out of the cells and, quite frankly, forms a dense sponge that is a hurdle for new cells to come in and repopulate this empty scaffold. So our goal right now is to remove as many cells as possible and as much of the DNA as possible from these scaffolds in order to leave really a clean slate for new cells to come in. So once you've achieved that step, then the next step is to have a new source of cells that you repopulate the scaffold, is that correct? That's correct. So our initial experiments, our proof-of-principle experiments, were done using rat neonatal cells. Those are cells that are isolated from hearts that know that they want to become heart muscle cells, so they have what we call a determined fate. They're not stem cells. They have a predictable course of differentiation. What our current experiments aim at is to try to generate similar cells from patient tissue biopsies. So again, the example, you know, patient with heart failure comes to the office, gets a bone marrow biopsy or blood drawn or a skin biopsy, depending on what cell type one wants to isolate. And these cells are then turned into the building blocks we need to rebuild new heart muscle. The step following that would be implantation? Is there, have I missed something? There's one step in between. So one has to isolate a scaffold and one has to isolate the appropriate cell types you need to repopulate a functional organ. But then you also have to grow the organ itself. And that's a period of time that's called organ culture. So that's one big part of our research is to define the milieu in which you can put these scaffolds combined with cells in order to actually allow formation of functional tissue. So you've shared with this uh, long-term vision and some intermediate steps that might help patients. Currently, there are matrix materials, so-called biomeshes, that are used for general surgery in plastic and reconstructive surgery, in trauma surgery, and in cardiac surgery. And I think that through that pathway, we'll be able to develop more and more complex, even acellular scaffolds that will find their way into clinical application. One of the applications you can think of is pediatric heart valves, So in pediatric heart surgery, one of the big hurdles is that heart valve prostheses that are implanted in a child do not grow with the child. So you have to undergo repeated procedures in order to match the increasing size requirements. Now, if we can develop an acellular valve that's, of course, just part of a heart, but still a valve that becomes repopulated by the body and grows with the patient, that would be a huge step forward. It certainly would be a a major step forward. So, Dr. Ott, thank you for sharing this fascinating story about some emerging technologies and how you and your colleagues are applying them to some serious and important areas related to heart therapy. Dr. Ott's webpage describes some of these applications in more detail, and on the podcast website, we'll put a link to that particular website. As we conclude this podcast and congratulate Dr. Ott for his pioneering studies, I remind our listeners that we welcome suggestions. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And also, 
I thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors these podcast series. Uh, thank you, Dr. Ott.